Hello again, listeners. I am so glad you tuned into this very special episode of Discologist featuring our friend Sean Barna. We are gathered here today to celebrate our friend Sean and the release of his new album, An Evening at Macri Park. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we got to know Sean at the very beginning of his journey as a solo artist, and we've seen all the triumphs and pitfalls that he's had along the way. Which is why Macri Park feels like not just the culmination of everything he's been working towards over the past 10 years, but really, I, I feel like it's the start of something much, much bigger. But if you've heard Sean, you know that. You know that about him and his music. So, with all of that out of the way here, for your enjoyment, is our conversation with Sean. And I really, really hope you love it as much as we do. All right. Um, welcome, welcome, everyone. We are here. Uh, it's uh, your trusty hosts, Kevin and Eduardo, um, here with uh, longtime friend Sean Barna to talk about his new record, uh, Powders, Poppers, and Feelings. <laughs> Do I have that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. put, put that new in quotes. Because okay. <laughs> yeah. this record's been around for a while. Uh, also, before yeah. we really get into it, Sean, I, I wanted to point out this really kind of fucked me up the other day we've been friends for over a decade oh shit jesus right what happened yeah the whole city released a couple of records yeah yeah it's just like what <laughs> i don't know anyways time it's fun it's not not that great true god dc uh, what a place yeah. we can talk about that later the the early the early teens in dc um Okay, so uh, the uh, the record is not called Powders, Poppers, and Feelings. It is, in fact, called An Evening at Macri Park. It's Those out. are so close. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the follow-up. It'll be like more songs about Powders, Poppers, and Feelings. That's uh, the B-Sides collection. Come on. <laughs> um, okay, An Evening at Macri Park due out on Kill Rockstars very soon. Um, but these are songs that have been around for a little while, right, Sean? You've had a chance to road test a lot of these. Well, for one thing, it's about an evening at a bar before the pandemic. Yeah, I have I have road tested a few of them. Well, because the tour we did, we played a few of them. Um, uh, yeah, but they've been around a while. I wrote them, like I do pretty much all the stuff. I wrote them basically in the studio when we recorded it. Um, I had like voice memo ideas and then just wrote them. By, by the next morning so that we could re start recording them the next day, depending on what song we were on. And uh, yeah, but they've been around since about January of 2020. Yeah, 2020. Is that, wow. is that right? Right yeah. right before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't remember when you started sending me stuff on this. That but, would have been during the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, but it was you started working with Dave uh, on Sissy. And then... That was... Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Start working Dave on Sissy, and then and then there was Margaret Thatcher was after Sissy. So and when it, I had that one half, not even half done, but I had the drums recorded and some scratch stuff, uh, and then I ran out of money, and then Dave had gotten new equipment, so he said, "Come up, and we'll record a song, so we can just." He wanted to, he got a new mixer, like a big mixing board, uh, analog, and old. So we had to, like he had a lot of literally like dusting it out and stuff so i went up there to rochester to make like one song maybe just kind of figure it out and we made all of sissy in three days um and i wrote three of the five songs and so then we did sissy so sissy came out before margaret thatcher but then he figured finished margaret thatcher so we could finally move on to another new project with us uh, and he just kind of like we re-recorded a lot of stuff uh basically just kept the drums and then finished margaret thatcher released that and then uh here we are. So that 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 board is is put to like full use on on this new record because there's the instrumentation is is like dare I say ornate like there's a lot there's a lot of like really pretty headphone stuff going on here there's there's interesting little touches there's strings there's kind of these pastoral elements. It's cool. It's actually one of the like he he actually just got rid of that that board because the 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 stuff that just happens on a computer now is just like. So great. And if you're running a studio by yourself, which he is, like, you can't be fucking with knobs. Yeah. Like, literally, like, spraying out dust and stuff. He finally got rid of that. So this is actually, it might be the last thing 
I didn't even think about that. That might be the last thing that was made on that board, that Neve console. But <clears throat> like all of our stuff, it's really just me and him in a room. So I did the drums. I did the acoustic guitars. He did all the bass and then um, vocals, you know. So basically only one of us can be doing anything at a time. So we're basically only using like one or two channels at a time. Uh, well, drums obviously has more. But um, anyway, so yeah, there is a lot of stuff. But I also played a lot of the piano too, uh, all the easy piano. I was gonna say, which that's like new the, for you, like to to because uh, there was a song, uh, it might have been Queer Man Blues, where I was like, "Fuck, Sean's already better at guitar than me." Like, <laughs> <laughs> that hurts my feelings. I'm better at drums than you, okay. and you so, definitely are. So with the finger picking stuff, it never like I can sit there and think about what my fingers are doing, right? But I'm finger picking in a way that maybe most people couldn't that are as good a guitar as I am, which is not good. And rhythmically, the, the way I play rhythm guitar, it's the same thing. Live, I'm moving more towards <clears throat> uh, just frontman stuff when I have the band. But I'm, I'm about to do this big tour. I'm going to have to play guitar the whole time. But as far as piano goes, oddly enough, my life is so intertwined with this man. I was cat sitting for Adam Duritz. And, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and I woke up quite hungover. I believe I, I think it was my birthday. It would have been, uh, it would have been July of 2019, I guess. Uh, I woke up and just sat at his piano. And because it's one of his pianos that's there, uh, the other one's put away in his space. But I, the one that's out in public there, uh, I was playing and uh, I wrote uh, Be a Man, which is the, not on the opening of the record, but the opening of Side B. Um, different feels, and um, I wrote uh, Benjamin Wishaw smiled on his piano, and I have it in my fucking phone. It says um, Adam Duritz, be a man. Eleven minutes, then it's like a seven minute one, then and it's me just like. <laughs> I sound. I was hungover, which doesn't usually happen to me, but um, so I wrote those songs on his piano, and that gets back to the piano thing. Is that you know I, I had to study piano and I studied classical percussion in um college not uh, so i'm doing marimba and stuff but also we had to do a little bit of dumb piano playing i don't know why they didn't make us get better at that but anyway so i wrote a lot of this on piano which is not how i usually do things so i wrote uh be a man well i wrote be a man benjamin wish i smiled and i wrote the lonely on piano and i play piano on uh the lonely and also be a man but uh Benjamin Wishaw, we had my friend from the Lumineers play this like, it sounds like a guitar, but it's a distorted keyboard thing. And then this other guy, Zach, who I don't even know, in LA at our friend's studio recorded uh, the crazy keyboard parts and crazy piano parts. And then we also had Alex, who's normally normally in the band. So basically good piano I didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, so, you know, going back to how you used to write songs, and like what what's developed over the years like first time we talked i think your process was you were you had in your mind this this grand vision right i still i still want to do it but i think you I, I, I have to go back and, and check on that again but i think you've hit maybe like 80 percent of that but it was like the songs yeah, yeah. the songs what you're talking about um but these are new i still have a lot of i have probably from that time when I just got back from Berlin, remember, yeah, yeah. I have almost, so, I mean, it was going to be funny stories. It was going to be like a suite of EPs. And uh, I have hit a few of those songs, but starting at Sissy and then certainly with Mackay Park, the songs are just, I write them like in the studio pretty much while I'm Well, that's what, I was, that's what I was going to say. Your process is like, you're not necessarily thinking about it as much. And then, but what comes out is, is, like increasingly more refined into what I think your vision is for for what you want to do, and on this one especially, I mean, this is <clears throat> this is the album that Sean of twenty thirteen feels like he wanted to make. Just I like cohesive. I so I get frustrated when I I, I could have recorded, I could have recorded probably five more LPs since that I did this one, you know, but we're the I want to move quickly. I want to have like, I just want to, I want to pretend it's 1967 and I'm Bob Dylan. That's what I got to pretend, I guess, where where you had time 
not time, but support. Like you could release three, three albums in a year and a half. That's where I want to be. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun for me. Uh, could just be because I don't like bartending. I don't know. But um, it is harnessing who I am as a person, <laughs> you know, really like kind of always saying what I feel or kind of I'm always existing truly as what I am for better or worse, that I'm not particularly good at hiding it. And so on Sissy, I learned um, that I am a better writer in that fast paced, uh, in a kind of quick setting. And so it is, I knew as soon as I wrote it, you walked in the fire, what you notice? You look back and see you laying. I immediately knew that this was going to be what it is, pretty much. Uh, and I knew I had the first song. And in fact, I the fifth song, Be a Man, which is the same thing, but sped up in like a Motown feel. That wasn't even my idea. That was Tommy Sherrod's idea and Dave Drago's idea. And I was like, no, I don't want to start with that. But then we did, uh, and it kind of just set the album. I knew that was going to be st- song one, and then song one on side B, and uh, and it kind of just the idea of being a man in a drag bar is hilarious, yeah. honestly. So, like in the bar, it would be a hilarious th- thought to have. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of just cohesive. It's just the experience. In, in addition to being cohesive, like there's also like a, a, a concreteness to like, like there's a specificity and a rootedness in this that is like, I mean, we've already mentioned like Duritz and Craig Finn, but like those are the sort of the two most immediate comps for me in terms of an, a record having like a sense of place and, and, and of space too. Like this feels like a sort of a like spacious you. album that you can kind of walk around in and meet people in. Well, cause that's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And, <laughs> Successful. And it's funny because, you know, I did, I wrote those songs on Dirt's piano and then he heard it and then he's basically like, can I just sing on it? Not like, not like Sissy where he did routines and like did that song, but like literally like, oh, do you need background vocals on anything else? Buried background vocals. Like, yeah, like he's in the yeah. band and nobody knows, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. There are two, one that I co-wrote with him and then the one where he sings the chorus that he is definitely there, but the other ones you wouldn't know he's on it. Like, I think other four other songs you wouldn't know that he's on unless you like really listen. And it's how, just because he wanted to be in the band. So it is cool to have that because it is, he's why I started writing songs, which sounds ridiculous. Aww. But I told every, I told the audience that every night in a Conan Gross concert. And I'm like, it must sound like I'm lying, but I'm not. That's why I'm here. And um, as far as the storytelling and stuff, it's, I don't really make anything up. Like, all, I mean, I maybe have a creative way of saying something sometimes, but. Everything I'm saying is like true. So <laughs> it feels real and it feels, and the characters I'm thinking about. And I actually told various people like, oh, that's what I'm thinking about when, when I say that or what I was thinking about. Not even was, I still do. I, it's just right there. I'm thinking about it. It's probably how I remember all these goddamn words. Have you, have you had a chance to, to show some of these songs to the people that, that, that inspired it or that um... more people heard this album in the past three years than we'll hear it after it's out (laughs) (laughs) we can talk about that (laughs) no it's just like the process so long and covid you know fuck covid but um yeah also i mean it's literally like i was gonna put it out and then i got the county crows tour and my manager at the time was like and i knew this immediately it's like that's way bigger news for someone like me than releasing a fucking album that no you know So we put it, we shelved it, did that for two months. Then we found out there was, Kill Rockstars was interested. And that took almost a year because they had a deal they were doing where they were with their catalog or whatever. And so we had to wait for that. And then I think I was the first or second, I think the first person they signed after that deal because they remained, they like, I guess sold their catalog, but they keep complete creative control or Slim, Slim Moon does. So we had to wait for that. We just waited. And to me, it's like, oh, well, it's not as, urgent as it was and it's like well no it's actually a good record and it's it's exactly as urgent i just happen to be annoyed ed brought up the um craig finn thing and you've always been a old steady fan i think that's actually where we met i think you yeah yeah, you you were taking pictures and i was at u street yeah yeah and some some dude just hit me on the back of the head with something i was like what the fuck and it was you what's up kevin (laughs) that's exactly a, a good reenactment um and uh, so this one definitely has that. It's cohesive. It, so- it sounds to me, the more I listen to it, like this is that moment. Um, it's also, you know, as you have over the years 
like come out publicly. Like, I don't think you were like fully out at the start of like when, like our friendship. Not even close. And it's interesting to me that I hope you can clarify some stuff. Like, to see how it, the focus has shifted. Like, at first it was like very like super gay. And, and, but now there's, because there's not really a, you know, if I say black music, like we know what we're talking about, right? And, but there's not yep. really like a, a queer music. There's not like a culturally necessarily yet. Um, and I think you're tying all that stuff to say maybe that it, your, your experiences matter, but the music is all the same. Is that right? Well, what's interesting about specifically black music is the way that rhythms came up through their cultures is why, why it's so we're able to just like, hit it but uh like all white music today it's stealing black music um you know I mean, white music is one in three it's classical music and it is its own thing but that's what it is but rock and roll has become american music now but you know there's cultural stuff but the, as far as a like, gay culture like the first like popular out gay person that, that's fairly popular was rufus wainwright that started he was gay when he started not elton john you know not that these people haven't done immense things, but, and Elton John is like a whole next level. He's not, well, he also doesn't write his lyrics, but like Rufus Wainwright sings about his life, you know, as a queer life, a gay life in New York. In this case, you know, his, his case is like a lot of drugs or, you know, whatever, uh, or his family. But <clears throat> what's interesting when I write about an evening at Mackey Park, Mackey Park is his bar I'd go to all the time, but Mondays, Monday nights would go there and there'd be a drag show at midnight. So like one, AM it would start. <laughs> Gay noon, baby. Um, <laughs> it's true, yeah. but um, it was just a, a, by the way, like getting like gay or queer people to listen to my music is almost impossible. They want to listen generally to straight women, straight women, period. Like Lady Gaga, Judy Garland, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey. I mean, straight pop women, period. Yeah. Like Dua Lipa, Carly Rae. And it makes me fucking. But that's crazy. also where we get a lot of the stereotypes, right? Like, like the stereotypes are true. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, some of them are. But, but like, so, so I was, I was asking you the other day if you had heard the band Badfinger, right? Which is like a, <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the most Kevin question, yeah. right? Yeah, and you and, no, this is not about Boston. And, and you had well, no, it's going to replace Boston. Badfinger yeah. is my new obsession. Okay. So, but but that's very 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 cis male, like especially it's they they were the next Beatles as the Beatles were selling it, right? So that's a very like specific market. Um, but here you are doing an album that sounds like that. And you're saying that, that your community or one of your communities isn't here for it. And and like that, I'm trying to like comport in my brain, like figure out what, what the disconnect there is. It is starting to happen more in my just immediate, I don't mean community, like the gays, I mean, my gays specifically. Um, is that because you keep playing your record for them? <laughs> yeah, to make them listen. Okay, you know they can't uh, escape. When they're getting out of when they're getting out of drag, they can't go anywhere. They have to stay there, picking up their makeup. Uh, well, it, it is interesting because these. I think all of us that to some extent, well, less so. I mean, I I always say I'm the least vulnerable gay person on the planet. Like I could pass as I'm cis, I'm white, I'm gorgeous, and <laughs> you know, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not vulnerable as far as it goes, right? Yeah. Um, but I have friends, you know, that are that haven't been seen, that have been come from bad bad situations. Maybe they haven't been seen, and I I think it's interesting for them to be friends with. Look, I'm a songwriter, and you know, I admire what they do, and I think that it's interesting to have for a lot of them that I've been there in the scene for these few years, and that I've been watching the whole time. And I think it's interesting now, like I asked my friend, you know, we're friends, but we're not, we're not like acquaintances and we're not quite friends, but like we're friendly with each other, but Ruby Rue is on the front with me. It's not like my best friend, drag queen. I have others that I, I'm better friends with that I could put on there, but it's her fucking show. That's her show. I got permission to be there and do that. Take that picture from her, you know, besides the bar, obviously, but, and it's just like, will you be in it? She's like, yeah, sure. I don't care. And that photo on the cover is me and her being like, Jesus, when's this fucking over? It's the only <laughs> photo that was taken that wasn't staged. 
Um, but like having her there and knowing that how funny this this person is, and also knowing that at the beginning of like every show, she'd be like, "You have a problem with anybody? Fucking tell me," and they're gone. You know, like it's a it's yeah. a it's a safe space, but only safe from the outside world, not from whatever demons you bring in. Well, so you know, to that, I guess to the point about the uh, the sound of the record. I mean, I mean, these are fairly like like a rockist or a focused would uh, write your sort of like boomer lover of uh, upstate sounding pastoral folk rock is going to hear this and think, oh, I'm right at I'm right at home. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're sort of you know like it doesn't feel like you're trying to sort of be cheaply subversive by making the subject matter different from what you would normally hear on those kinds of records, right? It feels... It is. I, well, the folk tradition is, is a storytelling tradition, pastoral or not. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Bowie and everyone else were aware of that tradition. Um, but I, you know, I'd rather, towards like telling stories like a nice folk with a nice little guitar or whatever, uh, I'd rather hear uh, Patti Smith tell a story uh, and so I think being subversive on purpose is, I mean, I said this before, but like, I think if I have any talents, it's like, I really don't like the, like, I can't really bullshit well. Right. That's <laughs> why I get fired and stuff. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't, the, it's so interesting because like, if I tell an honest story about how I see it, I might be angry about it if it's some kind of, you know, hate towards the queer community or I might whatever I'm feeling about it, it's really just raw. It's going to be there. And the thing about what's so interesting about this time is that drag is like culturally this phenomenon. It's not quite football, but it's a fucking huge thing. And, yeah. and uh, yet all of my friends have to be worried when they walk home in the bar. So yeah, it's under attack right 100%. now. Like specifically. Yeah. Like, well, even before that, it, you know, it, yes, but now it's like, ne it's become like sport. <laughs> well, it's, it's under attack legislatively. Oh, well, yeah, I know, but that, that's like a whole new thing, and like on your, and now you're putting out an album on a cover that a lot of people would see like this is a protest album, but it's not. Um, and, and remember, it's really people are people hate femininity, and people hate women, okay? so it's also abortion rights are gone. If you're a man who acts feminine, that's a problem, you know. And not that lesbians have it great or anything. That's not what I mean. But like, it is this insane legislative like pointed attack. Just to just to emphasize that that point a little bit, I was um, I was pulling up the Ben Wishaw video this morning, and uh, and um, you know YouTube serves up uh, whatever ads it thinks are relevant to that topic at hand. And what it what it gave me this morning before your video was like the Anheuser Busch apology America vomit commercial that they did after right having after like having the temerity to like allow a trans woman to be associated with their product. They did this. They did this like I have oh, more problem with the trans woman. What is that bitch doing drinking fucking Bud Light? Well, right, right. So, so, so after after the after the out the the like you know the the sort of response from kid from adult rock and others, um, they did this other thing that was just like uh, pickup trucks and horses and uh, freedom and you know and like it's just it's just such a cheap it's like a chat GPT video assemblage of like we love america stuff and 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 to see that served up before your video was really that felt like i enjoyed the subversiveness of that to think like oh you're giving me the fucking the most boring anheuser-busch response to like uh to something normal that they should have done a long time ago well that's interesting for a couple of us i was just in uh middle of pennsylvania which is more conservative than oh yeah on the Sanchez's fucking underwear that's maga country and um yeah. somebody somebody Basically, the bartender was trying to get this guy, but like, oh, have, yeah, here, have this beer for free. And he's like, I'm not fucking drinking that. And I was like, well, I will. I hate Bud Light. Yeah, now I right. have to drink it. Yeah, don't make me drink that, yeah. Um, what's interesting about about that, I've been thinking about this. So with the Counting Crows, we toured, you know, we didn't just do coasts. We did the middle of the country. You know, they have a song about Omaha, for example. Yeah. But um, he's not political, like Adam. He's not, like, going to talk about politics on stage, but... If you listen to Live Across the Wire's first live record, which is how I got into them, kind of, um, he talks about uh, having a, a a desk or whatever in the whatever venue they're in for um, HIV AIDS and for women's homeless shelters, and he leaves in the recording. It's not like he needs a Nobel Peace Prize for that, but that was, you know, back then in yeah. the 90s. But 
when I was touring with them, I knew that my role wasn't to be political. I'm a guest there. As political as I might normally be, I'm a guest there. On a big stage, I have no, I'm only there because I'm friends with somebody. <laughs> and, um, and we would, me and Dave would go to Waffle Houses, Wasted, of course, when we get to the hotel after the show. And at one of them, I was in Cincinnati. It was like 1.30 in the morning. We, I had been, I brought a cup, um, or I brought a beer in from the van. Me and, it was just me and Dave. The others went to the hotel across the street. I brought a, a beer in and I, I asked for a cup. And they don't ask any questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, of course he needs a cup for no reason. And I'm just like dumping it and drinking it. Anyway, um, the young young waitress we had, she's like, oh, well, you know, why are you guys here? And he's like, oh, we're touring with uh, Counting Crows and we were, we're here tomorrow or whatever it was. And she's like, oh, I don't know who that is. And then from the, from like the grill, I hear, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I met Pamela. And so she walks over, you know, worked at this Waffle House probably 20 years, you know, like it's worked, blue collar, white. If she votes, definitely votes for Trump, that kind of thing. I assume, you know, I don't know. I didn't ask. Um, and I know that, you know, I'm first of all, I work in politics too. And I'm also, it's only new that we won't speak to people that have uh, different political views. And there's a reason for that because, you know, Trump is a Nazi, but um, it's pretty easy to like, you know, you kind of know who you're talking to generally, you know, and I've never been somebody in a bubble of DC. I always resented having to go there. Um, but anyway, I talked to her. I was like, well, what are you doing tomorrow night? You know, she said, I'm not doing anything. I said, well, do you want to come to County Crows? You and one of, one of your friends can just come and there'll be tickets for you at the will call. And she's like, really? Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy. And you're great. Well, there's only one other guy that could do more for you. And I'm not in his band, but, um, and so, yeah, she brings her friend there. And so you're talking about subversive. So I'm not thinking of politics. I, I could probably guess her politics within 85%, just cause it, not cause I'm so smart, but I work in politics for those of you that don't know, but, um, she comes there and she sees me on stage be fucking gay as hell for 35 minutes. And I did a kindness for her. And that's how the world should work, right? I still don't know her politics. I do keep Facebook specifically so that I can be friends with Pamela on, on Facebook. <laughs> um, so I have a question about um, uh, your, uh, how your label mate Michaela Davis comes to be on this. And if we, does that mean that we can add, if we're going to have a sort of a an underground working title can we add whippets to the powders poppers and, and feelings thing maybe if you're going to be a jam band now a hoot this is so cool really because i met dave drago who is a producer and really like it's, it's more than a producer like basically i'll bring in a voice memo that has 19 melodies on it and he's like okay well this is you're fucking ridiculous here is the verse and here is the chorus and here's the bridge I'm going to bed. Good night. Just like it helps me like oh. arrange them basically. I'm better at this now, but um, yeah. So I met Dave at basically in Adam Durance's apartment because Adam did it used to be called Outlaw Roadshow and now it's Underwater Sunshine. But um, you know, a lot of my life musically revolves around this man because um, he's a special guy. I started writing songs because of him, but also he got white hot Hollywood famous when he was 30 years old. So imagine that. Whatever your life was, you're in the music scene, wherever you lived when you were 25, 28, 30, that stopped immediately for him and people are sleeping on his lawn. He moves to LA. His music scene is the Grammys and shit, which he gives a fuck about. Um, he is not that famous anymore. You know, like white hot pop culture. Well, that's, he cuts his hair and it's in fucking right, national right. news. Yeah, 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 seriously. <laughs> Yeah. And so like, anyway, he, when that wasn't the case anymore, he put together this thing called Outlaw Roadshow, which I was aware of long before I met him. Basically bands he likes and they all just get to get in New York. It used to be with CMJ and then uh, South by Southwest and it's kind of changed in, in how it is every year. And those things are not relevant to it anymore. But um, yeah, people, they'd play, it used to be Bowery Electric, like two, three nights, whatever it was. Everyone goes and parties at his house after they record like, acoustic kind of like tiny desk type of thing sessions during the day he's hanging out it's just like a, a hang of musicians like i woke up before i knew him i woke up on his couch next to him because i was hung over when i finally got into the, that scene 
But anyway, Michaela was part of that scene and Dave Drago was there because of a band Tallahassee. Dave was in and managed a band called Tallahassee. And so they would play the Outlaw Road show. I finally got in to like that, I got to play and I met Dave there and we hit it off and we make a record, Sissy, and then Adam hears it and loves it, wants to sing on it and that all goes. Um, but Michaela was, was there too. So Dave and Michaela, they're both from Rochester. And so they've worked together. They've known each other because I think they both grew up in Rochester. They've just known each other. And so, um, yeah, and Michaela, actually, I, when I put out Adam's podcast, he put Michaela and I, we're on the same episode. Like it's just, I've always been aware of her and her man. And uh, I hung out with her. And then like, I'm like, I need a, a singer for this song. And uh, it's like, oh, I'll just get Michaela to do it. Yeah. Well, you've Maybe. got Danielle Ponder on it too. Who I asked you about, well, yeah, and it was just a random thing. Like I was invited out to a show. I'm like, who is this person? And then I, I don't know why I asked you. The best bitch on the planet. She's a civil rights lawyer in right. her fr fucking free right. time. Right, And I, But I don't even know why I asked you, and that's exactly what you said. Best bitch on the planet. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Why does, you, like, you've, you're in this weird orbit of all these, like, great artists that seem, and whether or not that's because of Adam or because... Like he initially Danielle's because of of Dave, so right? Dave and Danielle, he wrote a couple of her songs with her, and and she's just up there, and and they work together a bunch. And honestly, um, Dave was our friends were kind of they have this winery, and they were maybe thinking of doing events up there because they had a nice pavilion. And me and Danielle, I opened for her, and we played one, and we just because she's not kidding at all, and I'm not kidding at all, and we are not the same. This is, I mean, she could sing in any fucking church on the planet. And I could not, unless it was a Catholic church. But, um, you know, she's this big voice, but she, she's a civil rights lawyer. She's older, too. Like, I, not older, but, you know, we're early, not 20, early 40s, I think. Kids. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm early 20s. And so, <laughs> um, but anyway, so we met her there, and um, and she's just the real deal. The real deal, you know, and uh, she's a real deal in life. And then also, like, her voice is unbelievable. Like, there's no, like fake soul crap it's just fucking incredible and uh and so she sang on it we her and i have just kind of been always tight and it's just in this weird way it's what's funny is we were in um park city utah and they wouldn't let because adam required vaccines for the kind of cruise shows and they said no uh because the state could because it was on a uh campus a public campus like a, a college and they said no so we're just hanging out in park city which is great because of how cheap park city utah is and uh <laughs> god damn it um <laughs> Danielle Ponder randomly had a gig there that night. Park City, Utah, it's like a little mountain town. And so we're like, what? Like, Danielle Ponder is here. And so we all go watch, and she invites me on stage to sing in one of the songs with her. Now, friends, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> me and Danielle Ponder are not the same. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are not the same. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. That voice is huge and in control, and mine is out of control and maybe kind of big, but... Anyway, Irish I'm just up there, now. like, in over my head, by the way. Uh, well, I'm going back to Dublin here in a couple of weeks. I'll yeah, get you, back. you'll get it back. That, that, was, that was actually Daria's favorite part about the new album. Less, less Irish Broke. It's not something I meant to do, <laughs> you um, You know, also, like, Gabe Birnbaum. Like, he's he's somebody that, like, yeah. randomly, like, I, I, I think it was, like, so he works for clandestine PR. It's a PR company. And he sent us, like, a lot of interesting ambient shit. And I was like, oh, have you heard my friend Sean's record? He's like, oh, I fucking know Sean. Because, like, Dirt's actually, like, supports him, like, because of this Outlaw Roadshow and stuff. And and it feels like that has, like, just taken on a life of its own. And you're finding, like, you and, and other artists are now spawning out of this. And really, I think about the hit, like, big. I can't, I, I, I know, uh, and I don't know if you want to get into this, like, on this show, like, you've seen issues with this release, which, how it's getting out there. Uh, there's not a lot, and we've talked a lot about this, there's not a lot uh, that makes sense, but there's also not a lot that makes sense in this industry. But out of hearing all your records, this, to me, is the one that, like, it's undeniably a hit. And, and, and so, and I've said this to you. I get confused as to like how can you, how can this not be the easiest thing in the world to sell? It you know it's interesting because, uh, so I get a report every couple of weeks from PR, and I know who, what people said like if they open the email if they listen to it, if they said anything we got only one denial outright, 
Would you like to guess the publication? I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Are they owned Pitchfork. by Condé Nast right now? Yeah. <laughs> Pitchfork, yeah. baby. Pitchfork said no to earlier things, but they still might review it. Somebody is pitching it to them, like a freelance writer. But like, it is impossible, it seems, to get people to write not, not lazy music journalism. Like I have to like, I like make sure I write all these press releases, not, I don't write the press releases, but I make sure like whatever we're sending them that I see first, because they'll just take it and put it in their article. Like they wrote it and have like their byline, like they wrote something. Um, right now, like Rolling Stone is dragging their feet on writing an article, which I, I'm not an idiot. It's about Adam, but me and Adam. So like, it's good journalism. Like Adam's a different generation than me. So aside from the fame, okay, he is the reason if I had seen him at a fucking club and he wasn't famous, I swear to God, I think I would have started writing songs. Okay. Just cause he touched me. Okay. And he's why I started writing songs. And then I get to play his outlaw road show and then underwater sunshine festival. I meet him. He sings on my record. And then, uh, he makes the butter miracle sweet one that he, he made. And he made it because of my, because Sissy inspired him. He's like, I want to do something like that. Mata Hoople, kind of glam like that. And I watch him do, it was the last day before the world shut down. I watch him do vocals. And this now has been my friend for years. I watch him do a vocal take on Angel of 14th Street. And I'm just, I looked to Dave Immerglick, his guitar player, and then a journalist that was there. And I was like, we've been friends a while, but this is blowing my mind just seeing this happen. But then he comes out and he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. I said, good job. And he's like, well, I just, I really want the background vocals to sound like sissy. And I was like, you know, Dave Drago's not dead. You can call him. He'll answer the fucking phone. He has your number. It'll come up. Adam Duritz is going to answer. <laughs> and so he called him like that. It's sort of God. That's what I said. I was yeah. not dead. So he calls Dave. And then over the pandemic, him and Dave spent three months on Zoom. And Dave sings all the background vocals on the new Counting Crows record, which has never happened. It's right. always the Counting Crows. Yeah. In fact, I think they were pissed about it until they heard it. Dave has this angelic girl voice basically sorry dave um but so i'm in i'm influencing and dave is influencing a counting crows record yeah yeah so that's mind-blowing and then he takes me on tour and now he's on six songs in this record and we have a co-write on this record it's not like it's just a cool like music journalism story and the only reason rolling stone obviously might be interested in that is because he's been on the cover of rolling stone and all that but like it's just a cool story right well and they're dragging their feet. It's like, what the fuck are they going to write about? His hair again? They wrote about his hair. They literally wrote about his hair. Well, but, but, and, and to your point, I, I think, Sean, um, you know, what's, what's sort of interesting to me, and, and I think you and, you and, uh, our friend Philip and I were talking about this after that North Country show, uh, when we were all oversurfed and having a great time. And it's, it's, it's that this sort of like long overdue, critical reassessment of Adam Duritz, which, uh, and the Counting Crows in general, which I think is, is, is probably it's happening. coming. My PR yeah. person said they're like seeing it happen. Well, well, right. Because among people, like among people who like well-built songs, there has just always been a special like lane reserved for Adam Duritz because he is undeniably just he someone who knows. Up. The motherfucker is good at writing songs and he does about every seven years and go fuck himself. I don't know how he does it. But I have, and I have no doubt that like w as part of that critical reassessment, like, like you and stories like yours will be a central part of that of that narrative, right? So it's sort of like so to your point, like Adam Duritz kind of like lights a spark in you and drives you to be a songwriter. And now you are part of the quote unquote, you know, redemptive arc of of kind of the third act of Adam Duritz's career, right? And it's really special for people like me and Matt Susage, who also toured with me and, yeah. and Adam, but like if you if you got Chris Caraba on here from Dashboard Confessional, <laughs> whatever the fucking guy is from uh Death Cab for Cutie. What's his name? Uh, Gibbard. Ben Gibbard. But yeah. I didn't mean that disrespectfully. I like. Yeah, I was yeah. like, fuck yeah, that yeah. guy. And that's not <laughs> what I meant. Um, or any any of them. Any of them. Adam will be a top three, top five. Um, and, and, you know, I've defended Adam for a long time, you know, in the DC punk scene. You know, mm -hmm. I should get a fucking friendly, medal Friendly that, confines, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I people be like, oh, oh, Mr. Jones. I'm like, first of all, that song fucking slaps. Number two... The first album starts with 13, not 12, 13 seconds of silence. Yeah. A pop record. Yeah. You know the hardest thing to do in music and not fucking want to puke? Silence. I've seen it one other time and it's Michael Jackson's goddamn halftime show and he stands there for a minute and a half and doesn't move. Yeah. 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 So 
you know, you mentioned you bring up DC, and uh, there seems to be an allergy, or used to be an allergy to like pop music. Uh, you did a your I think your first release on Kill Rock Stars was Everybody's a Queen on Halloween, Halloween. right? Yeah. Which is this amazing that in fifteen minutes on one hour of sleep? Yeah, yeah. Which is <laughs> it's just amazing thing that you and so, Dave cooked up, and it was just like, oh fuck, okay. Um, but in your in that experience now over these years, you're if I had to classify what you're doing now, it is more like rockist, right? Rock, yeah, like yeah, rock yeah. And roll but yeah. but is there any? I just wrote a bluegrass record. Kevin. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is there is there any is there any use to these type of silos? And how well how do they get in the way of people really working to do this? Because we know a lot of people that like work just as hard as you uh, that aren't where you're at right now. I know people that work less hard and are much further. Yeah, that too. That that's that's true. They probably drink less. Um, <laughs> The silos can be interesting. So, like, if you're talking about, like, Latin music, what the fuck does that mean? But, like, you know, it means a lot of things. That's what I'm saying. But, like, there's silos there. It's different. It's the clave. There's so much to, like, literally, technically, why is it a a, a, a bossa nova versus a samba or whatever? Technically, there's, like, rhythmic, like, bop, 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 or bop, 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 that. I mean, that's not... But a pop song, it's a bluegrass is all, you know, it's a lot of traditional folk songs and stuff. And, and it, it's, a, it's a music that nobody knows the song necessarily when they start, but they kind of know the forms and stuff. So it's really form-based. And it, it, but more than that, as a songwriter, it's just like melodies, good melodies. I can't play any instruments in a bluegrass band, not one, not even a little bit. Um, but I can write a melody. I can make a, 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 a bouncy, like rhythmic melody, and that's fun for me. And, and as far as like rock stuff, like it's been more rock because I have this band because I did the Cunning Crows tour, but I'm about to play alone. I'm going to do a lot of quieter stuff, really kind of more intense stuff. For me, it's really about lyrics and working with Dave. Now I, I'm really kind of conscious of, of efficiency of lyrics and melody. Um, because he'll be like, why are you saying that word? It's like fucking up. You better have a reason or we're getting rid of it basically because it's fucking up the the melody and and that's a conversation we have very quickly and he's either right or he's not or i'm right or i'm not and we don't pretend we, there's no ego about it but like there are silos sometimes when you're talking about a clave for example or um you know certain types of jazz maybe uh but like when it comes down to melodies and just like lyrics you can apply that you take any pop song from the beatles and turn it into a bluegrass song and people do it you know but you can't it would take you couldn't e as easily turn it maybe into a uh, some kind of extended Latin jam. But maybe you could. I don't know. I don't know anything about that shit. Well, I always remember when I was when I took banjo lessons. I remember um, uh, learning a song, and uh, my teacher said, "Oh, this song. There's a chord here that doesn't that isn't in one four five, and so we call that an off chord <laughs> in bluegrass circle." Yeah. I hate how it's still almost like that. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. To that point, you take a song like "The Lonely" on here. Uh, that's my favorite one yeah and and you know like at first I was like I, I basically have to like give you shit of like oh, your slow songs I'm like that nah, that sucks and, and that's a lie that's a lie though because uh, I love that but also that could exist in so many different forms I think that it exists there uh, in a record that is mostly about bigger rock sounds and to pull it down to like I, I don't want to say it's like November Rain quality balladry but it, but it's not, it's not, it's, the lyrics are super raw, but it's not necessarily a super raw song. Does that make sense? Well, it's interesting because The Lonely, I didn't know if I was going to say any of this in any interviews, but The Lonely, I'm referring in this song, The Lonely is the period after my brother died. That's, that is, um, which is, uh, going strong here at 20 years. <laughs> Fuck, when's it going to be done? Um, so... I, you know, I did study classical music, but like, it's not like how I write normally, but to me, the melody there captures everything. I'm, before I even say anything, the melody on the piano captures loneliness as I felt it. Also, like all these parties and whatever you're doing out at the bar, it really, you come down, you're just, 
you know, I, I think that it opens with the hangover, but like, this is kind of like before you, you get the energy to put your boots on and go to the bar. That's what that feels like. Um, it, I don't, I don't know if I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that with the, but it is, it's raw. If you, if you really know what it is, here's the thing. So you try to write about depression. It's not that interesting, but you have to tell yourself if you're really in it be like, you know, I, I can be kind. I'm kind. I can be strong. And I made my bed, which is a fucking miracle. If you're really going through it, it's a miracle. And so, you know, what could be, a, it could be funny if you just said that I can be kind, I can be strongly made my bed. It's the chorus of the song. And to me, it's the, I, I was, I'm not easily impressed with myself, but in that case, I really think I captured the feeling of uh, desolation, I guess. And it's, it's, it's not like writing about myself usually. Like these are characters, a lot of, and I, this is true. Always like, I'm writing about people, but the lonely is about, I mean, it's very specific when after my brother died and my friend Rhiannon was hanging out with me and I would be practicing 10 hours a day <laughs> for real. And she would sit, she was a physics major, but she makes a lot more money than me now. Um, she would just sit there in the room with me and study physics and just so I wouldn't be alone, just like literally physically not be alone. And, um, and then she, I, she brought me to see Brokeback Mountain. No, she didn't bring me, it, ca it came out. It was a big, it was a big thing. And I, by the way, I wasn't sexual. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm gay. I just, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, I didn't make out with anyone in college. I practiced. That's true. Um, till senior year. <laughs> we, we made up for lost time. But anyway, um, <laughs> next record, next there, record. I have, I have already like, oh, it's so easy to write records. I want to record more. Um, no, but I'm watching uh, Brokeback Mountain and I'm sitting there like numb out of necessity, if you're really hurting, yeah, yeah. you need to be numb or you're going to die. Yeah. Die. And uh, I was just like, huh. He just fucked him in the ass. <laughs> kind <of> like, <laughs> but kind of like numb to it, yeah. you know, but that was that area. It was 2006, I guess it would have been. Yeah. Um, but so everything I write about in there, there's a real like, it is a period of my life that was tough, you know? And, uh, I actually still don't make my bed. I don't really understand why people do that, but it is um, making your bed or doing the the littlest thing is the most impressive thing if you're really just not doing good. Does does music now give you like a release for that though? <clears throat> no, no. Okay, I don't write songs unless I'm recording. Interesting. Interesting. I don't, I'm not, I never go, I don't have calluses. Like I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, do yeah. anything. It's always like, well, cause I know, I know, I know we've talked about like, you know, you wrote this so long ago and now you're like, I don't know what I'm writing. I don't know what I'm necessarily like doing as far as that goes. Uh, you know, given how this record is being like presented to the world and, you know, in you, you are very, very much out now, um, to everybody. Mm -hmm. I can tell uh -huh. you the most awkward thing was standing next to your dad and you not being out. <laughs> but well, that's the thing is like because you know there's a period after after my brother died, right? I was just trying to protect them, and I stand by that decision. Uh, but then at some point, this uh, drag queen misdemeanor, misdemeanor. Um, by the way, when she got busted for selling coke, she was dressed as Marilyn Monroe. Excellent. Anyway, <laughs> do you see? I don't yeah. have to write a you goddamn don't. thing. I don't that's have right. to think of anything. Right. It's right there. Uh, she pulled me aside and afters, afters is like after the bar closes and you all go, well, you know, you really want to finish that passage in the Bible. So you got to go hang out upstairs for a while. Um, come on, that's funny. <laughs> that's good. Cocaine. <laughs> Kevin. Uh, but she, um, pulled me aside and talked to me for an hour and she said, you're a fucking coward. You're a coward. She's like, yo, it's a everyone in this room, you owe it to me, you, you owe it to Sam, you owe it to your parents, you're a coward. When you're right, you're right. And so then I, I came out. Because I was like, I was becoming like a queer person, like publicly, except for my parents don't know, which they're not idiots. <laughs> right? That was, yeah. I think that was the thing. It's like, oh. My dad's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, me and Sean are watching football tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, really weird. Into the you sports. haven't had a girlfriend in 15 yeah. years. That's weird. Uh, yeah, so, but now that you are and have been for a while 
do you see making music as like there's a mission to it that you're not just telling queer stories because you're not just telling queer stories you're telling like human stories just telling human stories you're just telling human exactly. stories but do you feel like any type of responsibility to like lift up the, those communities with with what you're doing or is that like a separate thing or not at all the, the only the only responsibility i i can only do that if i'm being honest to myself and what i'm trying to say otherwise it's false no matter what what did surprise me on the cunning crows tour is again i wasn't there to be political i was a guest but before danger baby which is about danger baby is a character i created which is based exactly on somebody true uh <laughs> again nothing creative um but before the song danger baby i'd say this is for queer kids having a hard time because americans though in their legislation can be so hateful um if your neighbor's having a hard time you go help it's in a i don't know if it's just an american theory or whatever but americans specifically will get up and help their neighbor and then vote against everything in their interest, right? But it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. Anyway, so trans kids having a hard time because immediately whatever hate you bring to the show about trans and how uncomfortable that makes you and I'm a man and I don't drink Bud Light, you're immediately empathetic, right? And I would just say that every night. And um, what was surprising to me is there were trans kids in this audience like 17 year old kid or 17 year old queer kids. And I would be walking around and I always changed because I'm generally not supposed to be talking to people with COVID and stuff. So I'd be walking around, not in disguise. I mean, I had a huge mustache and shit, just been on a TV for 35 minutes in front of them um, or a movie theater screen. But uh, they would pull me aside and like, we didn't expect to hear that. Then one of them in St. Louis, <laughs> where I went off on Chick-fil-A by accident, that I got political at one show is uh, St. Louis. I actually had to run into Adam's restroom after and be like, you may have to answer some questions about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said this, uh, I said, this goes, uh, I said, I want to thank County Crows for bringing out an openly uh, queer artist uh, on tour. And I want to thank Chick-fil-A for their unending support of the LGBTQ community and people like me fearing for their lives in cities and towns across the United States. Audible gasp. One, two, three, four. We played the next song. So I ran into his dressing room and told him that. I won't tell you what he said because it's hilarious. I'll tell you after we're not recording. Um, anyway, but the, the kids would come up to me and in St. Louis, one of them was like, they're holding a bunch of sodas and like, oh, my partner's here and they're trans and they wanted to wear makeup, but they were scared to. And then they saw you and they wish that they had. Now I have like a little bit of eye makeup on. I don't wear makeup generally. I like eyeliner, maybe nail polish, but it's not like my thing. But I had a huge mustache that everyone's going to have to look at for 35 minutes I wanted, on two movie theater screens, unless they're right up front. And I had eye makeup on because it just fucking looks silly. It's hilarious. But I want people to have to deal with it. They have to reckon with it. This masculine person that's very gay, very masculine, and has eye makeup on. But anyway, so they're like, we, I, my partner wished they'd worn makeup. And then I said, well, put us on a group text right now. And we were texting. And I was just like, and I didn't come up with this, but it's true. There's a cost to being yourself. Don't be stupid because it can be a real, real cost. There's a cost to being yourself. If you get your ass kicked for wearing makeup, you got to wear more makeup the next day, more makeup and go fucking right down the same street within reason. I'm not trying to get people killed, but like you can't be unaware of the cost of being, of, of being on the edge of what's accepted in society. So bullshit. But, um, but even beyond that, you're talking about like, like, is it, you know, writing about human issues versus queer issues. The first thing I do with anybody is jokes. I joke with them. So like the seven-year-old kid is like, tells me this really deep story about being trans and I don't, you know, I don't embrace them or something. I was like, okay, but why are you at a Counting Crows concert? You're 17 years old. <laughs> you know, because right. the only reason their identity has to be this, I'm, trans or I'm queer is because society fucking hates it. Right. Their identity is they're 17. A goddamn thing about that means more than that they're 17. We were all 17. Yeah. You know, when you're a teenager, like every you fucking you're crazy. But like, why are you at a Counting Crows concert? It's like, was Justin Bieber not in town or something? You know, I want to make fun of them. Right. That's my... Right. And in there, I don't, I don't, they're not, oh, this is my trans friend. This is that's my friend, you know, like, and that's the thing. They were forced to have these identities that it's like, well, that's just one part. 
You know, I fucking like well, apples. I really like apples. And I, and I think to sort of the reverse of the question I posed to you is that they're at that Counting Crows show. So mm-hmm. if you're looking back through the history of music, there's not like music that is just for like cis straight people, except maybe 38 Special. Like we can we can argue that. <laughs> what a band! <laughs> but you don't even know who that band is. Bullshit! Uh, okay. I know. First time I kicked this story needs to get out there. If I'm ever famous, the first time I kicked in my mom's stomach was during Highway Star at a Deep Purple concert. That is a fucking true Hot story. Hot that is a goddamn true story, you motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, I stand. That's I stand corrected. That's a true story. <laughs> um, you know, but but you know they they are there because uh, the songs that like Adam or whoever it doesn't have to be like Counting Crows. It can be whatever. Speak to them, and like you said though, it, it, track two in this yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, and and, and and but it like it, they're also there. They know it might be a little bit dangerous to show up in that strict an environment what the audience usually is. You're right. It is dangerous. Yeah. But I don't. I'm not there to tell them it isn't. Right. The the song that I'm talking about, Danger Baby, she dies. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's the, there can be no illusions. But you know, at, when we be at these bars, like again, I'm like the least vulnerable queer person on the planet. But like, as a favor to whatever creep was there that day, like the drag queen would ask me to remove them or try to get them out of the of the bar, and they would be like, you know, because they want to. Well, what if I don't leave? And I'm like, then you have to deal with them. Yeah. See how, yeah. See how they, they're dressed? They walked here like that. You really want that? This is a favor. I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. And it's true because yeah. these people have had enough. You know? Uh, is, is that why you think people are so threatened? Because they understand somewhere deep down that they're about to get their ass handed to them? <laughs> well, I think white people, white men are threatened by that maybe because yeah. they're losing control but i think people are threatened by femininity yeah that's pretty much it i think like i like i personally um, don't like enjoy drag shows but that's just it's no other reason it's just like you haven't been any good ones no no, no like. I, I, I've, I've been doing like, they're comedy they can shows. be yeah but i i don't like broad comedy like if that makes sense like it, it I, do you mean, I, do you mean lady do you mean lady comedy i, <laughs> I, the joke I, I yeah. couldn't come up well with then broad's making music uh, <laughs> that's what I, yeah. I was trying. I think I'm losing a step. I think yeah. I have some kind of brain problem. Uh, you, you, norm- you normally beat me to those, Sean. It's true. I was immediately like, should I do it in a Sinatra voice? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, it, it, it's just not, uh, it's like me not liking Paul Thomas Anderson films. You know, it's, it's, it's just like that. And it's, and, and it's so weird that you hate Prince as much as you do. Yeah. All right, well, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I have AI. I can edit that. Uh, <laughs> right, oh, right, oh, now he knows how right, to edit. Right, right. <laughs> but, 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 like, yeah, but, but it is, you know, yeah, that, that hetero cis mindset about stuff, and yet perpetually throughout history, that very same audience is drawn to drag shows is drawn to Elton John, David Bowie, androgyny, and all this stuff. And and it's a joke that like people, you know, you mentioned people voting against, you know, to hurt voting to hurt people. Like it's just a it like us like cis white dudes gotta get our shit together, I think. The hypocrisy makes me fucking insane. Yeah. Well, I think it, it makes it's... me that insane. Like it's just it's fucking like what are you doing? Well, especially it's just so silly. Well, there's there's all this like so you know your sort of typical uh, set of beliefs about what makes America special is going to be tied to some idea of like push slavery. Push, well, <laughs> well, oh, that, that actually, that actually else, does I'm not sorry. make America you special. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, that that just makes America part of the new world because uh, no, we were good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brazil did it for longer. I'm just um, kidding. We got okay. we got all those Confederates to come down there and start that that town. The only thing America really has is that uh, none of us are particularly educated. So I don't know about Brazil. I don't know what country that's in. <laughs> yeah, right. Well played. Um, no, there's 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 all this sort of like bullshit bullshit mythology about like you know uh, sort of uh, creative destruction, pushing boundaries, the rugged individual, right? Like frontiers mentality, all that bullshit. And you want to talk about like the sort of ultimate, you know, pushing of boundaries and challenging of conventional wisdom. It's the idea that like the sex you were assigned at birth might not be the one that you belong to. Right. And and it's the problem is it's forced people to take side. Yeah. It is a hard thing, especially with kids, because kids don't get rights all the time and they shouldn't necessarily. 
it's a hard thing, but we can't have a normal, let's talk about this conversation because people are so freaked out about it. Yeah. It's people can't just like, well, let's talk about what does it mean for X, Y, Z when somebody's 13 years old? You know, why can't we talk about it? Because people get fucking crazy about religion and other goddamn things. And it's so, it's upsetting because it hurts the people, kids. We, all, we also apparently don't have a media environment where, uh, you know, where, where people can sort of call out a moral panic as it's happening. And that's probably been the most distressing thing to witness is just this, you know, this sort of inability to say like, no, this is clearly kind of manufactured fear and stoking the, of fear. And we've seen this. the front page news, every single... Every news outlet in the world, if the first headline every single day in every single newspaper isn't about climate change, then I'm not particularly interested in what they have yeah. to say. It's the it's the number one headline every day on every news outlet. And if it's not, we're not doing our jobs. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. It's nobody's gonna want to listen to this. We're just getting down now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can start over. <laughs> Well, so just put up one of my old ones to, and yeah, change yeah, yeah. the name just, of the album. I, I, I am. I, I sent I sent one of your old ones to Andy, and she was like, "Oh my God, Sean's such a baby." Um, be, can art or music guide us to a better place? Oh yeah, for for that as a society, do you, you think that? Yeah, I mean, the more. Really, the more honest we can all like be about ourselves, I think the better. And that's the thing is like, in with, with your trans, or you're gay, or you're fucking whatever you are, like just, there's a lot more people just being more honest. Look at the way we dress. Look at photos from a hundred years ago. Everyone's dressed like, like they're, they're not expressing their individuality. They're all dressed like they're supposed to, right? And that's uncomfortable and it's, it's a lot of chaos, but like, as far as art, I know. So when I feel like down about whatever, uh, you know, like nobody's left out by single or something. Um, I know that those kids came up and it almost happened every single show. It almost happened every show. These kids came up to me and I, unfortunately with my powers of negativity, can't take that away from them. So I cannot deny it for the first time I talked to, you know, I don't, you know, I have a couple fans or whatever, but it's the first time I was just out there and, uh, these kids all over the country, it was usually kids, you know, coming up to me like. I can't take anything away from them, what they felt because of me, which was interesting, you know? And I also know that somebody like me, if I'm, it was in fucking Rogers, Arkansas. I have the recording too. I want to have a release a live recording live from Rogers, Arkansas. Uh, it's the best show I had. And uh, before each show, I would go walk around in like, we wouldn't necessarily know it was me and just see the audience. And I was tired. I just I was tired that day. Normally I'm ready to go, but I was tired. I was going to, I was almost going to just like wear a black t-shirt or something. And then I walk around and I'm like, you know, it's easy to wear the sparkly thing in New Orleans where we're going to be in two days. It is not easy to do in Rogers, Arkansas. So I put on the loudest, sparkliest thing I had. And I just, I just went for it. And I watched guys, usually white men walk out and I see them like fang it. You know, I see it. I can watch it happen. People text me after like, that guy called you whatever, but I told him to be quiet. I'm like, well, thanks for telling me that. But uh, that's my job, to be honest. So uh, it's, so even like you're saying, can it, can it, the other thing is like, it can do harm, right? So, <coughs> sorry, Dude, Jesus Christ, edit. So with Dave Chappelle, do I think he should be able to say whatever he wants? Absolutely, 100%. I would fucking die for that right. Um, do. Sorry, you can make it sound like I'm crying or something. <laughs> um, We're all crying. What bothered me about what he did is that he's the, arguably the best comedian alive. He can make a joke about saltine crackers. That would be amazing. And uh, he's a black man. Do I think that those trans jokes cost lives? I do. In fact, I'm certain. I'm certain it did. Yeah. That's what bothers me. Not that he shouldn't be able to say it. Just, he doesn't need the punch down. He doesn't need to. He could do anything he wants. I go to shitty comedy shows and that's all I can talk about is trans people. And it's not funny. This fucker can make any joke he wanted. It'd be funny. And he's punching down. That's what bothers me. And uh, by the way, look at any statistic about anything that's bad. It's worse for queer people. It's worse for trans people. And guess what's the most worse? Yep. Black trans kids. Every statistic. Yeah. Um, 
and this guy's going to make jokes about it. The most, one of the most respected black men. Yeah, the, bl- the, America, the blind so. eye to that was just one of those like, well, you know, not only is this not a joke, but it's also demonstrably untrue and like at odds yeah, with reality. And, and that's what bothers me about him. So to your question, Kevin, it's like you could certainly hurt people with it. So just not doing that would have been really useful, you know, to, to people. So, you know, I, I don't really know. But I also watched, um, you know, just touring with Adam. I've, well, first was walking with Adam in New York. Watching people come up and just be like, uh, you changed my life. And I'm sure uh, John O'Neill gets this from Mountain Ghost too. Like, yeah. you, I, I'm alive because you are. I just, I've watched it happen. But um, it didn't really, I guess it's funny because I'm basically one of those people too. But it was, uh, I would watch him every night. And it was during Rain King at the end and say, it's a pop fucking, bang. it's just a banger of a song. And he's there listening to it and you kind of get lost. But at the end he says, it's good, you know, the music, like it's at the end of the song, he says, I'm the rain king to so come in out of the rain. And I, it hit me one day and I was just like, oh, right. this man has saved lives. Yeah. With that, yeah. come in. I get it. Come here. You're yeah. okay. Yeah. So if you can do that even a little, like, I mean, he's obviously massively famous, but I know I did it a little and that's just nice. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I think you've done, I think you've done it more than a little. I know from talking to you, I know, um, you like people can think like you might be negative a lot but i always think i think that's interesting because i know i say that but if i were negative i wouldn't be here yeah i like spiky better than negative yeah spiky is good and and also we wouldn't be friends spitefully we we wouldn't be friends (laughs) if you weren't a deeply caring human like that's just not that's the thing everyone's on their like own journey too you know yeah and you got to give everyone a break if you can yeah i'm a little bitter maybe a <laughs> sour As or make, make lemonade i'm holding a lemon yeah. for those of you at home yeah. um yeah i don't know yeah and no, but, it does. yeah so I, I do think so all my answers are too long i'm sorry kevin i need no. to figure this out if i'm gonna be massively famous <laughs> well you're gonna be massively well, famous for having really fucking long answers that's right that's fine <laughs> John Barna for you right there. Uh, it was great to have him back on the mics after so long. It's been a minute since we have caught up, as you just heard. Uh, but really super proud of what he's done with this record. An evening at Macri Park is available everywhere now. You should get it. Go get Sissy while you're at it. That is an EP put out uh, two records for this. And, uh, Margaret Thatcher of the Lower East Side is kind of sandwiched between them. Also great. The whole catalog is great. Go out and get it. Most importantly, he's going out with the uh, the British Cigarettes Band this week, I believe. Next week, uh, the 15th is the show I'm talking about in Washington, D.C. If you're there at D.C. 9, uh, Eduardo will be there. A bunch of our friends are going to be there. It's going to be a great, great time. And thanks again to Sean for taking the time and and just being a great friend over the years and, and, and supplying us with some really, really great music. Uh, that is it for this week. Coming up next week... We're going to be talking about new music from Chessa Rich. Uh, we are going to be experimenting with a little AI music. Uh, it's a really, really fun episode. So tune in then. Until then, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Let's go.